0: so, ah oh boy, uh where to start uh Kyototato, Ko Matt mental toku Uh I think it's really good that we had such a um, that in our worship today we really celebrated God for who he is and what he's done and uh And we kind of ended on a high. So I'm going to start back in the valley. (laughs) So we'll see how we go. So as you you may know, we've been uh, kind of journeying through Exodus with Moses and the people of Israel and with God. Uh, And a couple of weeks ago, I was driving in the car by myself, listening to uh um a you know you get the when you go on pod on um Spotify you can have a song radio and you pick a song and then it just plays a bunch of songs that are a bit like that and the song came up that I hadn't heard before and it's called caught in the reeds and (laughs) and it just kind of wrecked me in the car it's hard to drive when you're crying um and I, I suppose I saw myself in the words of that song, and it really made me think. And then I was, as I was driving along, I started um, thinking about all these things. And part of what we this this journey through Exodus is about becoming a people of the presence, right? And 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 we've talked about Moses and the people of Israel and how and and how they become a people of God's presence through this journey. And what I realised was that in that journey, there's this thing that happens, both with Moses and with uh, the people of Israel, where they they doubt themselves and they doubt God. And they, they, they have these moments of quite profound doubt in what's happening, even though they are in the presence of God. And so this idea of doubt in the presence of the presence of God, right? So it's that thing about... He's here and we're still struggling and doubting that. And I, I I'm not gonna play the song, but we will just wanna oh no, it's cut off slightly. Um so this first verse I saw a burning bush and a flaming silhouette in the night. If I'm stand if I'm standing on holy ground, I'm on borrowed time. You said I am who I am. I was your boat in the Nile. So this is, that's him talking about what, what God has said to Moses. All I know is there's blood on my hands. Sorry. I'm just that river's bastard child. And it's that thing about Moses is standing there before the presence of God and is in this moment of profound encounter. And even in that space, there's that sense of doubt. I've talked with God like a friend and still doubted him. Saw the ocean split wide and still wondered why. I still find it so hard to believe and why my heart still gets caught in those reeds. I really encourage you to go and listen to the song. It's a really, it's a good song. It's it's lovely and it kind of wrecks me. <laughs> um, and I, I guess over the past little while I've been kind of thinking and praying about this uh, idea, I suppose, that that we can be right there with God, and we know He's there, and still feel this doubt. Let alone when He, when it doesn't feel like He's there. And so, I just wanted to explore this thing about doubt, and I've got a bunch of thoughts, and I, I will just, I'm just going to throw them all out there, and we'll see what lands. Uh, um. Whoo. I also really like the end of it. Right? My heart's been caught in those reeds. I've been living waist deep. You know that thing when you're walking through water? I, I remember when I trained a long, long, long time ago in surf life-saving, and you get taught to run. Uh, actually, I put, I put my back out, so I'm not going to imitate it because I don't want to make it any worse. But you run, when you're running through surf, you lift your legs up really high and sort of uh, out to the side so that you can go over the waves because right? you get through the water faster. But you get to a point where it gets too deep and then you're pushing against the water at which point you start swimming, right? But but there's that sense in which, um, you know, it gets hard. And and I know that in my life I have often felt like I'm living waist deep in terms of my faith when I'm sort of working against myself actually or, or my past to move forward. And I'm, I suspect, I, I don't think I'm alone in that. But your word, it has split seas. It sets captive free. I want to live in that light. And that's where I want to end up. So, Moses. Uh, Moses is, is, is pretty cool, really. <laughs> you think about this guy and his story, and I, I, I want to hone right in to one part of it, right, his calling. So if we look at Moses 3 and 4, and there's this dialogue. So Moses is out in the desert. So I've cherry-picked some verses from it here. Moses is out in the desert, and he sees this bush that's burning and not um, yet not being consumed. And he goes, that's odd. i better go and have a look at that. And you think this is his place where he has spent 40 years. He's probably walked past this bush a lot. And yet suddenly, now, something has changed. And so he has this, he, he goes there, and then he finds out that the, the reason the bush is burning but not being consumed is because the presence of God is there. And it's holy ground. And so he, ha- and, and he has this dialogue as, as God is going, I choose you, Moses. And Moses is going, Really? Are you sure about that? And so we have this moment. Where Moses is there, so and we can see these are f- four parts through it. So there, there are basically four questions or four responses in this dialogue that that Moses has with God, and I'm just calling them out. And it's interesting when you. I, I encourage you to read through this and look at God's response. So if you see the first one, so God has said, "I'm going to send you to bring my people, bring the people of Israel out of Egypt," and Moses goes. Who am I that you should do that, that you should call me to that, and how does God answer his question? Does God tell him who he is, who Moses is? No, God tells him who God is, and it's like actually Moses, you know it doesn't really matter who you are because I am with you and and you you know you'd think that's answer enough but then he carries on and Moses is like, but but really is this is, you know really you're picking me I'm a murderer I have blood on my hands I ran away you put me in a position of authority where I probably could have done something if I'd been listening to you but I murdered someone and I ran away am I really who you're choosing and at the end, he, he basically gets down to it, right? So he, he keeps asking these, these kind of deflecting questions. And finally he goes, pick someone else, please. Just, just choose someone else. I'm not your man. And so, and, and you think, so the question is, and there's this, James last week, he talked about fear and about appropriate fear and inappropriate fear. And how we should live and, and we should fear God. But we should not fear the world. And an appropriate fear is living in fear of God. He is creator God. He did cre- He did make everything, right he is our He, he made us uh, and and he chose us for this time. I was at a meeting on Thursday with some other Christians, and we were talking, and one of the things that came up was how we need to recognize. And in regard with to Christian education, if we if the children are made in the image of God, we have to recognise that they are made where they are made. So it's not just this made in the image of God is not just a kind of fanciful notion. You were born into the family you were born into, into the environment you were born into, with the genes you were born into, and the, the both the nature you were given and the nurture that's happened around you by by choice. Not yours, his. We are made for what we are made for in this time. And so, and and we're created with that plan to to express that. And and you see this coming out in Moses, and he doubts it. He's right there, taking his sandals off because he's on holy ground, and he doubts this word of identity that God is speaking into him. I am with you. I am the God of your forefathers. I will, later on, you know, how will they know that you're with me? He he gets told to throw his staff on the ground and it turns into a snake and put your hand, the the freaky one, right? Put your hand in your cloak. Okay? Pull it out. Leprosy. Put it back in. Gone. You'd be like going, I'd I'd go. That's cool, neat trick. You know, but, but that, that, and yet it's still, at the end of it, he goes, please send someone else. Who is Moses doubting here? Hmm. He looks at who he is. He looks at his past. And he goes, I'm not worthy of this. Even though God is saying, I choose you. And it doesn't matter really if you're worthy of that. So, I want to jump ahead to when James was introducing this journey through uh, Exodus he talked about there being three main characters Moses, the people of Israel and God so let's have a quick look there are a number of stories about how the people of Israel doubted this so before I jump into this particular part of it we have this story right so the Israelites have been in uh, in Egypt for 430 odd years I think it was They've been in slavery for the last, I don't know how long, but, but long enough of that time. And they're whipped and they're made to make bricks for their buildings. They're building cities for the, for the Egyptians uh, under tortuous conditions from the sounds of it. And they're crying out to God and God hears them. And he sends this guy Moses back to them. And then Moses starts, and these things start happening. These, these miracles start happening. These plagues come across Egypt and yet they are miraculously spared from them. All the livestock get boils and yet theirs don't. Uh, you know, and there's all these things that are happening and us seeing this stuff. And there's, I, re- I read this really interesting thing a long time ago about how when you look at the plagues, they challenge the Egyptian gods and what the, those gods are supposed to be sovereign over, agriculture and the Nile, right? So turning the Nile to blood is a challenge to the, the Egyptian concept of, I uh, can't remember her name, but the, the Egyptian goddess of the Nile. And, and so there's this thing going on, and they're seeing their god, the god of their, 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 their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, basically taking down the spiritual powers of that land, which ends in the, you, you, you look at the start of Exodus, what do the Egyptians do? Try and kill all the firstborn of the Israelites. What's the consequence for that? Their firstborn are taken from them. But the angel of death passes over the Israelites. So they see this. They see these miracles. And then as they go, when they go to leave, they go to their neighbors and say, Oh yeah, we're leaving. Can you like give us some gold and stuff? And they get given a whole lot of gold and stuff, right? They, they walk out. They plunder the nation as they walk out. And then, so they get out. They're walking back. They kind of get to the sea. And then they're going, oh, now we're at the sea. So here are these people who have seen God move profoundly. But Pharaoh comes after them. And you, they're caught between the sea and the army. And they're going, oh no. What's their response? To go, he set us free, he pulled us out of slavery, he did all these things, this plagues and all that kind of stuff, and wow, isn't he amazing? No, no, it's to go to Moses and go, did you bring us out here to die? It's, you know, and I totally get that. I sometimes feel like that's part of my walk. Like, I'm almost like those, those Israelites standing by the sea, looking at the army, going, God, did you bring me out here to die? You know, when I'm grappling with my own weakness or the things that are going on around me. <laughs> Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've brought us out into the desert to die? I mean, I do quite like their, uh, the, the pointedness of their, the, the, almost the sarcasm in this. Uh, but again... But what they're doubting here is it's not quite the same as Moses, I don't think. They're not doubting themselves in the same way because they, they can see they haven't liberated themselves. But we have this thing right, so so another thing James talked about when he talked last week was that fear can elevate the things of the world, to an equal position with God. But actually God made everything. He is far superior to Pharaoh's army or anything else in the world that can happen. And I often think that fear is the seed of doubt. When we, when we let the things of the world rise up in our minds so much that we can't uh, see or that we let them block our view of God, then Those things become doubt in God. And so here, and and their history, right? They've got all this this history of crying out to God, and and they might be sitting there going, Well, you know, he moved then, but we've cried out to him before and he didn't move, so maybe he's not going to save us now. So there's all these doubts they have based on their worldly view of what's happened to them in the past and what's happening to them right now, rather than flipping it to see that kingdom view of what God is doing so and if you look through the rest of scripture just let look the rest of Exodus and the rest of scripture there are lots of stories of people who go um but what and, and they doubt themselves or they doubt God or both actually typically doubt of yourself leads to doubt of God so I want to just jump into one that's in the New Testament with one of my favourite characters in the whole Bible, Peter. Peter is awesome. So this is in Matthew, and uh, again, th- the, if you think about the story here that's, that that comes before this, Matthew was one of the, Matthew. Uh, sorry, Peter was one of the first disciples called called out from being a fisherman. So in that moment, so when you think about Peter being a fisherman, rabbis in uh, Jesus' time so all kids went to school and they learnt the, the Torah and then if they were good at that they got to stay on and learn the rest of the Hebrew scriptures off by heart and then if they were good at that they could then go and petition a rabbi to, to disciple with that rabbi and become another rabbi so Peter is a dropout he didn't make it through that process because he's a fisherman not a rabbi And he he didn't even make it far enough that he could petition a rabbi to be discipled. So he probably did okay learning the first part of that, the the Torah, but he didn't make it through the rest of it. And, And so Jesus turns up, who is a rabbi, and says, I choose you to this guy who's a fisherman and his brother. And Peter just drops everything and follows him. And I I always kind of imagine Peter's dad going, (laughs) bit the nets. But, But you think then, and then Peter follows this rabbi and he sees Jesus heal the sick. He sees him feed thousands of people from just a few loaves of bread and fishes. He actually gets sent out. Um, Before the story, he's sent out with a whole bunch of other people to go to other villages and preach the word and heal the sick and cast out demons. So not only has he seen Jesus operate in that powerful place of the presence of God, he's gone and done it too. And then we get to the story, right? So the, 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 the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee, and there's at least four people on that boat, Peter and Andrew and John and James uh, who are skilled sailors because they're fishermen they know this right so and they are sailing and a storm comes up and and they are worried that the boat is going to sink now i've I've done a bit quite a bit of sailing earlier in my life with my dad who's a very skilled sailor, and one time we were out in Cook Strait and there were eighty knot winds and five meter swells and we were just bashing through that right our engine had died Um, one of the sails had torn off uh, in the wind and I remember saying to dad at what point do you abandon ship and he goes you step up off the boat into the life raft but my brother and I who were there were looking at him and if he was worried then we would have been worried but he wasn't he's like we'll just we'll we'll, we'll pound it out over this and we've 24 hours of sort of riding out the storm uh, and so you can see the other disciples would all be looking at James and John and Peter and going are they okay are they okay cuz they are the fishermen right they know the storm and they are panicking <laughs> they're going we're going to sink so it's pretty full on. And then Jesus is just booking it out across the water through the waves, wandering in through the storm. The storm hasn't stopped at this point, right? The wind is still raging, the waves are still high. And they think it's a ghost and so they they, they kinda of freak out at that too and it's I mean it's all you're already stressed and anxious. And then they realize it's Jesus. And I, I love Peter, right? He's like, well, if it's... The, the, the thing is, is when you're a disciple, what you want to do is become like the master. The job of a disciple is to be a little master. And so his, his thought is, well, if Jesus is walking on the water and I'm supposed to be a little Jesus, then I should be walking on the water too. And so he says, should I, you know, I'll come to you. And Jesus says, come. Because Jesus is thinking the same thing. Actually, of course you can come. If you're going to be my follower, then you can do this too. And he gets out there. And he gets on the water. And he starts walking on the water. And I, mean, I, I can't imagine how that would have felt, right? You'd have this moment of, I'm, what is going on here? I'm standing on the water. This is so cool. And he looks and he can see Jesus standing there. And I guess, guess I have in my head that while he's watching Jesus, he's all good. But then, it says, but he saw the strong wind and became afraid. And that fear made him doubt. Who, who was Peter doubting? Yeah. Jesus was doing fine, right? He's there, chilling out, standing on the waves. And Peter doubts himself. Right? He loses that Uh, He takes his eyes off Jesus, looks at the storm, looks at the world, and doubts himself. And so, and he lets his fear of the world become the seed of that doubt. He lets his fear of the storm cause him to lose faith. So, why talk about all these examples? I suppose the first thing I want to say um, is that doubt is a uh, partner, I guess, of faith, for want of a better word for it. It comes with it. We are finite and we are broken and we can't see all that God sees even when we try and so we're never going to have enough we're never going to know enough so doubt is not something to be afraid of or worried about but what we do with it really matters I had a conversation with Zoe when we were talking about this and we, and we ended up talking about reasonable and unreasonable doubt and and I, I guess the thing for me, if, if we think about this, this is the, the thing that would make our doubts in God unreasonable is what we do with that. And the example that I can think of is if we look at the story of, of Jesus and him coming to the crucifixion and the story of the disciples, and we were just talking about this before the service, that Peter and Judas both had this view of Jesus as a political messiah, and he was going to fight the Romans and kick them out of Israel, and these guys were going to be set up as the you know, ministers of the new whatever. And then Jesus got taken. They both had their doubts. As they saw Jesus walking down this path, they both had their doubts about what would happen. They both looked at what was happening in the world and went, And you're going down this path? And so what did they do with those doubts? In the end, Judas chose to embrace his doubt and go and talk to the priests because he was worried, I guess. I mean, it doesn't say, but my, my, my supposition is that he was worried about what would happen to everyone else if Jesus went down this path. Um, that's just my uh, guess as to his motives. Um, Peter, even though he doubted, even though he denied, he never actually stepped away from that call. Right, so he 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 followed Jesus to the house of Caiaphas, and while he denied Jesus in that moment, and he says he wept bitterly because he realized what he had done and that, that Jesus's word had come true. We find him later still with the disciples. So even though he... And I'm sure they all had pretty serious doubts at that point about what was going on because they really didn't know. But they still kind of kept together and kept something alive. They still kept trying to see, even though they couldn't. And I think this comes... You know, that, that we can... You're gonna you're gonna have your doubts. It just it, it comes with the walk. You know, you pray for someone to be healed and they're not healed. Or you um you know, you pray for deliverance for something and it doesn't happen or or the, the circumstances of your of what's going on in your life make it really cause you to go, Well, if all this bad stuff is happening, how can God be good? You will you you will have doubt. You're, I'm pretty sure you've all had them, right? And will continue to do so. So the question is, is what do we do with it? How do we walk out our faith in fear and trembling with those in, in the presence of the presence of God and our doubts in the presence of the presence of God? So one of the things that I think that you see... Uh, to some extent in Exodus and in Judges is this cycle of faithfulness and then doubt, or fear sometimes, and then doubt, and then kind of falling away and then coming back. And uh I, I guess that can happen to us in our lives as well, where we are caught in this you know, but but really what I wanted to say with this picture is that they that our, our faith exists in the presence of doubt as well as existing in the presence of God. And it's a, it's a part of our finiteness, and it's a part of our, 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 our current circumstances. Where there will be a time when we will see clearly, right? Paul says we look through a, a glass darkly, but there will, be, there will be a time when we can see clearly. But we don't walk in that time now. So on one level, I just want to validate that you might have doubt. It's okay. When I first became a Christian... And I started having questions about what this meant for me, how it reconciled with what I understood about the world, and I had some really big questions and doubts. I had some conversations with people quite early on. Some of the, those conversations made me feel like it wasn't okay to ask those questions and to have those doubts. Thankfully, there were other people who went, it's a good question, Matt, and encouraged me to seek God and seek, search scripture and, and seek wise counsel and so on but we we live in this place of uh, you know we I, I guess one of the things I've, I like about this community of faith is I've always felt it's a place that I can ask questions where I can be open about my struggles and my doubts, and I'd encourage you if you're struggling and or you have doubts that you are open about it, that you find people to talk to, um, because we need to be real about our faith journey uh, and and you know honest with ourselves and honest as a community. You know that in Hebrews, Paul or well, it may may not be Paul, but I think Paul wrote Hebrews, but. Um, we don't know for sure but it talks about in Hebrews 13 not to forsake gathering together we are made to walk the walk as followers and disciples of Jesus with each other in a community of faith because we will all have our times when it's going great and we're up here we're on the top of the mountain as we saying right the god of the mountain is the, the is the god of the valley Right? We will also have our times when we're in the valley. So what do we do with it? Um, I have, I don't have like three, I've got three points, because, you know, you've got to have three points. Um, <laughs> there are three thoughts, really, because there are lots of things. But I guess this is what I do, or what I've looked to do when I'm, I've been struggling with doubt. And then we're going to finish with a, um, an imaginative exercise and then um, perhaps some prayer ministry so just gonna bring us into land so Peter walking on the water when he looks to Jesus he's good when he looks to the waves he starts to question things now we can be on the water and looking at the waves what do we need to do? we need to actually do what Peter did right he looked back at Jesus and said save me If you are struggling, right? If you've got questions, there may not be answers, but the first thing you can do is look to God. Because I tell you what, he knows what he's doing and he doesn't doubt what's going on. And if you are his follower, he chose you. He has chosen you. He has selected you and said, you know, I choose you. If you were the only person in the world, I would choose you. And I know you can do it. I know you can walk this walk. That is God's word to you. I know you can do it. I know you can be free. We talked about freedom. We sung about freedom, right? A part of our journey is this journey of being, becoming more Christ-like and more free. And that's hard. Another thing that uh, James said last week, I think, was drawing close to God always involves giving up something of ourselves. And that can cause fear and doubt. I don't, I don't know if I want to give that thing up. Or if I give that thing up, will I still be me? And we doubt that. But look to God. Doubt is only problematic when it pushes us away from God. When we let it push us away from God. Peter cried out to Jesus. Moses cries out to God all through Exodus. Right? On, on his own behalf and on behalf of the people of Israel. And the Psalms... If you want to find a place where you can find prayer and find uh, uh, words to express, the Psalms are great for this. Uh, The one that, I I mean, I love Psalm 22, which is often talked about as being, uh, so Jesus, when he's on the cross, cries out the first line of this Psalm. My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? Talk about a cry of doubt. Where are you, God? And it's it's there's the, all these verses that, um, when you read them, actually describe it could be seen to describe his crucifixion. I'm war, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by people. All who see me mock me; they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord; they say, let God rescue him. And so there's all this stuff where he's, there's this cry out going actually God you know where are you I'm, I don't know what's going on I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I, I'm, I'm doubting you and what you do but you get to Psalm 22 verse 19 but you Lord do not be far from me you are my strength come quickly to help me deliver me from the sword my precious life from the power of dogs and then he goes on I will declare your name over my people in the assembly I will praise you and he, he, so, even in that moment, when it was written of profound fear and doubt, he is recognizing that God is with him. And and actually, like there's a whole section of Psalms like this in the fifties, where they start with uh, "People mock me," or the you know these things are happening, and, and the, the world is out to get me, and I'm and I don't know where you are, God. But I remember when, when you were with me last time. And so I think there's, there's two things. So we can cry out to God when we're, we're in these places of fear and doubt. And, and we can look to him. Right? And, and obviously his word is a great place to look. Uh, and, the, and we can look for the counsel of scripture. And look to his promises. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's promise. The Spirit of the Lord is in us. There is freedom. So I also think um, another thing that I have learned, I guess, over time is not to fight with it. You know, there's this, there's this thing where, you know, the more, I, the more I think about it and worry about the things that, that I'm struggling with or, or that, I'm, almost I give them life by doing that I start to elevate their importance and so and I remember a long time ago I remember having this uh, picture when I was praying one day I was reading through um, Jonah's prayer in uh, Jonah 2 and the sort of prayer of repentance and I was praying that and, and I had this picture of me standing there and there's all this blackness and I'm trying to fight the darkness and and I just know I'm holding on for dear life and at some point it's going to win because it's so big, it's so much bigger than me, I can't fight it. And, and then I'm sort of so busy focusing on that that I can't hear this voice and then I heard this voice going, Matt, I'm over here. Matt, I'm over here. And, I t- and, and then it's like the camera panned right back out and I turned around and there's the glory of God and there's me in this little shadow. But when I face the shadow... It seemed monumental. When I turned away from that, when I didn't give that fuel and turn to God, it seemed inconsequential. Also, uh, one of the things is seeking wise counsel. Again, this thing about living in community. Uh, Proverbs twelve fifteen, which I did not bookmark, um, says, uh, there's other proverbs along this line too, but this is the one that came to mind. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. We are made in this to live in community. We're made to walk in community. Sometimes that means we might have to be corrected by community. Seek the, seek the counsel. Seek wise counsel from people that you know and trust in this community or other people that you might know elsewhere. Right? And the last thing, and this leads into how I want to finish, is... The other thing I've found, actually, is use your imagination. Use your creativity. I think that when you, and when you, this kind of sounds like it contradicts the thing I said about not giving it fuel, but I find when I write, so I write a lot of bad poetry, but it helps me because it, it kind of gets it out of me. I can put it on the page, and then I can look at it and go, yeah, you're not so bad. Right? I've, I've externalized it. I've taken it while it's all swimming around in here going round and round and round I have anxious thoughts and I have these all these doubting thoughts and all this kind of stuff when I find a way to externalize it and sometimes so you know sometimes you don't want to talk to someone else about it but I write it down and then that that then it's kind of like just releasing it and giving it away you uh, paint right cook whatever it is whatever it is that you like to do that gives you that sense of I can take this thing and out of me. It doesn't have to be, when I say use your imagination, it doesn't have to be your sort of classical creative pursuits. It's whatever works for you, right? The other thing for me is walking. I go for walks and if I'm walking, I can't actually do anything else. And so I end up just talking to God. And then I'm like, okay, and then it all comes out. <laughs> um, you know, and, and all talking to people and and that's that thing about how do we let it let it go there's this, the, we can hold on to these things too tightly what we should be holding on tightly to for dear life is the cross and and how do we let some of the other stuff go it's really easy to say it's not that easy to do but that's um you know I've been a, a Christian for 26 years I know that because I've been married for almost 25 years so I've been a Christian for a year longer than that. And I've had profound times of doubt questioning what's happened to me, questioning God questioning what's happening to people around me uh, questioning my circumstances and where is God in all of this. And in the end the thing it has done for me is drive me back to God it's hard it can be quite a hard thing to do though because it drives me back to God and when I let it drive me back to God it's because I've had to let go of something and I do think that it's a tool it can be a tool that God uses to help winnow us to help us you know that that where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and then we are being transformed into Christ-likeness by the spirit I'm not transforming myself into Christ-likeness. The Spirit of God is doing it in me. And sometimes that means he calls me into the desert. And sometimes I'm in the desert and I'm crying out, did you, did you bring me out here because there's not a grave somewhere else? But, as, but my, my encouragement to you and my, my exhortation is to turn your eyes to Jesus. Which is why I love that we did that in the worship. Thank you, guys. Because it, it's it's that's the thing to return to. Uh, and that's I didn't put that down here, but I've also found songs like the one I started with call me into that place of oh yeah, okay, yeah, but you're good, God, and I'm going to focus on you, <sighs> dear Lord Jesus. I thank you that you are the God of freedom. I also thank you that you meet us where we are in our in our fears, and our doubts, and our, our shame and, and, and whatever it is that we might be going through but you come to us where we are I thank you Lord that you choose us and that you have no doubt about us I thank you Lord that you have no doubt about us and about what we can be and who we are in you I ask that you would be with us as we go through the week and that we would, we would know your presence with us, that we would know your, your confidence in us and your love for us at work, at home, at school, at uni, wherever we might be, when we rise and when we go to sleep. But thank you, Jesus, for all you've done and, and just ask for your blessing upon everyone here today. Go in the name of the Lord.